Okay. The last time I talked and used this scripture, I think I shared this a little bit, but I'm going to elaborate on on a little bit. It's the scripture in Malachi chapter 4, uh, right before the New Testament, in verse 6 where, well, verse 5, we'll start with verse 5, where it says, Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the great and terrible day of the Lord comes, and he shall turn and reconcile the hearts of the fathers to the children and the hearts of the children to the fathers. And then he says, Lest I come and smite the land with a curse and a ban of utter destruction. But uh, the important thing I want to look at there is that he says that the spirit of Elijah, obviously because Elijah is already dead right now, <laughs> says Elijah is going to come back. His spirit's going to come back, and he's going to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children, and the hearts of the children to the fathers. Okay, we and we know that part of that spirit of Elijah was like Jesus and John the Baptist. They were all carrying that, and even we are carrying it now. And uh, he's wanting to use that right now to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children, and the hearts of the children to the fathers. And uh, I think that's a huge deal. Like what that says to me is that what God really cares about is relationship. He cares about love. That's what he wants. If he's talking about Father God to the hearts of his kids and the hearts of his kids to Father God, or if he's talking about earthly fathers to their children, doesn't matter. The thing is, he's talking about fathers and children. He's emphasizing relationship right there. And uh, everything there is about God, it all revolves around love, and it revolves around relationship. You've got a father and a son sitting up there on the throne, okay? And then the son has a bride, so it's this big, happy family. And uh, if everything about God is, is love, if everything about him is relationship, then his kingdom is love, and his kingdom is relationship. Because when you put a father, when you put a king in charge of a kingdom, they turn that kingdom into their image. They make that kingdom the image of themselves. Like Obama is in the seat of presidency right now, and he's turning it in, he's turning America into what he feels like the nation should be. And then with George Bush, it did the same thing. He did what he thought was best for America. And so you've got God who in him everything revolves around love and relationship. So his kingdom is love and relationship because he's turning his kingdom into his image. Really, if his kingdom is love, you can apply that to so many scriptures in the Bible. You can, uh, I, I just, I, I was doing this the other day and it just blew me away when I did it. But I would go through and find every scripture that said kingdom and I would replace ki- the word kingdom with the word love and it makes sense. I would say, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. But seek first his love and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. Well, I was talking to the kids last night at the youth meeting and uh was talking to them about the love of God and there was a kid in the youth group that, just recently told me, and I know you guys have heard this before, he just recently said, how can God love people? How can God be such a loving God when he lets babies get killed every day, when he lets people kill each other, when he lets all of this stuff happen? And I said, well, you forgot that those are God's children too. Those people that are making the decisions to do that are God's children too. And they have a free will just like we do. And God won't cross that free will. And so if someone chooses to abort their baby, he won't cross it. I mean, he can. He definitely can. And this is something Rachel and I were talking about yesterday. He has every right, and he has every, I mean, he just, he can. He can cross someone's free will. He's done it before. It's in Scripture. But the beautiful thing about it is that he won't. 
He won't cross your free will because he wants you to choose him over the world. People believe that because babies die every day, it's his will. But of course it's not. It says in the Word that it's his will that none should perish. And so he's not up there just agreeing with the fact that these women are walking into abortion clinics and aborting their babies. He, he doesn't like that. But it's their, it's their choice. It really is. And he gave them the same free will he gave us. And he wants them to choose him over the world just as much as he wants us to choose him over the world. So we remember that, and we can pray and everything for that, but just to remember that that has nothing to do with God's love. I mean, well, it has nothing to do, but it has everything to do with his love. The fact that he gave us a free will so that we could choose him over the world, that's his love right there. He's still Father God. They can not view him as father, but he's going to be father nonetheless. A lot of people won't let him be father, but he is father. He is. Free will to me, and the Lord's been showing this to me. I'm actually writing a book on it right now. But free will to me is the most beautiful thing in the world. It really is. And we make it out to be this like this curse. We make it out to be like it's this evil thing that wants to take over our lives and make us make bad decisions. But it's really a gift. Because the reason God gave free will was so that we could choose him over the world. Therefore, to me, it's a gift. Because that's a beautiful thing. And you would be surprised. Last night when we were talking to the kids, the majority of them did not understand why they were even made. One of them, the one that I told you about, was saying all that stuff about God's love. He even said, God created me because it was a sick joke. And so, But I know, I know that before he left that night, he was just, he was quiet and he looked really like, he looked sad, but it was like the Lord was really working in him. And I walked up to him and I said, you're my favorite. I said, I love it when you come and I hate it when you can't. This morning he sent me a text and he said, so why'd you say I was your favorite? And I said, well, you're God's favorite. And I love you because God loves you. And I, I just began to, to minister to him a little bit, but I know that the Lord's working in him. And I told him, the Lord's got an amazing plan for your life. And just last night, I know that as I was talking about the Lord's love and what it really was, just their eyes, like all of them, their eyes just started to open a little bit, and they started to see this is really why I was made. And that's why I want to go back to even today while I talk to you guys. I don't want to get up and teach you guys the message about Jesus because you already know it. I don't want to tell you that Jesus came and died for your sins, and that means God loves you. Okay, I want to go back to the very beginning with Adam and Eve and tell you why God loves you. So I want us to go back to Genesis right now. We're going to be reading out of chapter 2. It's just a couple of verses, but you can stay there, and I'm just going to read a scripture out of Song of Solomon real quick. Song of Solomon, chapter 4, verse 16 says, You have called me a garden, she said. Oh, I pray that the cold north wind and the soft south wind may blow upon my garden, that its spices may flow out in abundance for you in whom my soul delights. Let my beloved come into his garden and eat its choicest fruits. Okay, and we know that Song of Solomon is a love story. We know that it is. And it's parallel to the love story of the bride and Christ. But knowing that that is a love story... We can apply that to Genesis. Okay, what was the place where Adam and Eve were created called? It was the Garden of Eden. Okay, and this is exactly, this is what what God says. Okay, 
in chapter 2, verse 16, it says, And the Lord God commanded the man, Adam, saying, You may freely eat of every tree of the garden. Okay? So we know that from trees, usually fruit grows. And we also know that most of the time in the Bible, fruit is the result of what? It's a result of character. So just like in Song of Solomon, whenever she says, let my beloved come into my garden and eat its choicest fruits. He says that right here. He says, you can partake of any of my fruits. You can partake of my character. You can partake of my love. The, the thing that's really awesome about this is it said the Lord God commanded the man. The very first command given to man was partake of me. Partake of my fruit in my garden. Partake of my character. Partake of my love. Partake of who I am. Okay, that was the very first command given to man. So, to me, that says, well, well, first of all, this is kind of like what I talked to the kids about last night. I said, you were created because God had so much love inside of him that he wanted to share it with somebody. He wanted to share his love with you. That is the reason you were created. You are not created to have a relationship. That's a big part of it. But God doesn't need you. He absolutely wants you, though. Jake said that in the message that he taught, he said, God does not need you at all, but he sure wants you. And that's the truth. He created you because he wanted you to know his love. He wants you to have a relationship with him, but the utmost thing he wants is so that you can experience his love. And so the very first command that he gives to, to man right there says, partake of me. Receive my love. Eat my fruits. Come into my garden and eat my fruits. And then in the next verse, of course, it says, But of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil and blessing and calamity you shall not eat, for in the day that you eat of it you shall surely die. So he says, All of this other stuff, who I am, you can partake of. You can eat it. You can eat all of this other fruit from all these other trees. But the one that would make you like me right now, in that you would know what's good and what, or what's right and what's wrong and what's good and what's evil, you cannot eat from that. And what happens? They eat from it. And we do that today even where we don't find what God wants to give us enough. And that's exactly what they did. They fell into that because they couldn't find that what God offered them, the fruits of his character that he offered them was not enough. The very fact that he created them because he wanted to love them, it's, it's like they were still seeking more. And we still do that. That's a big problem. He doesn't want he didn't want to force them into desiring him. So that there so there was something else there that he had to say that they couldn't have so that they could choose him over that. And they didn't. When I think about that, how God really created me because he wanted me to partake of him, because he wanted me to eat his fruits, because he wanted me to come into his garden and have have him. Whenever I think about that, and then I apply it to but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. That says to me, seek first his love, like I said, but seek first his love, want that, desire that, and his righteousness, who he is, he's perfect, okay? Seek all of that, and you're going to have everything that you need. And we, And you know, even the scripture that says he has made us his kingdom, he has made us his love. We're kings and priests in this kingdom of, of love. If we're kings and priests in this kingdom that is love, then we have a duty to portray that love. 
And I love in the Amplified in 1 Corinthians 13, every time it says love in the Amplified, in the parentheses after love, it always says God's love in us. And that's what love is. It's his love inside of us. It says, it says in 1 John 4.19 that we love because he first loved us. So if he hasn't loved us, then we cannot love. In other words, I'm not saying that he hasn't loved us because he has, but there's a I think what it's saying right there right there is that if we have not received his love, then we cannot love. Because until we know his love, we don't know how to love. And so that's exactly what he wants to do. That's number one on his list, is that his children just know that he loves them. Because whenever they know that, then they can love others, and that's the kingdom. That is the kingdom coming on this earth, is a relationship of his kids. And that's why we're doing this thing on December 3rd, because the Lord is really doing that right now. He's trying to bring everybody together. That's what he wants. Not only that, but the lost that don't know his love, he wants us to have such a knowledge of his love that we are able to go out and give it to those people that don't know anything about it. They've never even heard of it. But you know what? We can't do that until we know that. It says that we love because he first loved us. So once we receive that, then we can love. And you know, we act like we know what love is. And I've heard I've heard people talk about this before. I've heard preachers get up and say, you know, we use the word love for everything. We say, I love McDonald's, and I love this, and I love this. I'm not going to tell you to stop saying that, okay? I'm not going to say, stop saying you love McDonald's. No, I know what you mean whenever you say that. <laughs> you don't mean you're in love with McDonald's. So I'm not going to say to stop saying that. But I am going to say, think about what that word really means. Okay, that word means God's love in me. That means that I know God's love if I say that I love something or somebody. It says right here that if I don't know what God's love is, then I don't have the capability of loving. Because God's love is love. There's nothing else. There's no other kind. And we do that with love too. We weigh it and we give it different types. And I say stuff like, I don't have the same kind of love for you that I do for you. And that's not true at all because God sees everything in black and white. He says, you, if you're not hot, you're cold. If he says, if you're not for me, you're against me. Or you either love me or you don't love me, okay? So it's like, you love or you don't. If you don't know my love, you cannot love. Like you really, like what real, what love really is. We weigh it and we give it different types and we, and we, we give it different styles and different intensities and all that kind of stuff. But God is love and so really, if I want to love someone, I have to know who he is and I have to know his love. That's just the truth. And so we walk around saying that we are like, oh, well, I want to love this person. I, w- I just want to be able to love this person. Well, then love God and know that he loves you, and then you can. Love is definitely, most definitely, the foundation and beginning of everything. And it's the end of everything. And you're like, even when you're wanting to build a relationship with somebody you don't know, you're like, I need an icebreaker. Well, love is the icebreaker. It really is. Love really is the foundation and beginning and end to everything because God is the Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end, and He is love, so love is the beginning and the end. Love is the Alpha and the Omega. Love is what starts the world. Love is what ends the world. Okay, when He created the world, He did because He wanted to show His love to somebody. When He comes back, He's doing it because He loves us. And so everything in between that is love. Everything in between that is love. In 1 John chapter 4, verse 16, which is three verses before it says, We love because he first loved us. 
It says, And we know and believe the love God cherishes, cherishes for us. God is love, and he who dwells and continues in love dwells and continues in God, and God dwells and continues in him. So it's saying, if I dwell in God's love, if I dwell in love, who is God, then he dwells in me. His love dwells in me. I've got to spend time with him. I've got to have a relationship with him before that love can dwell in here. And what's what's interesting is that we we ask we spend so much time asking for God to come dwell in us when he just wants us to dwell in him and then he will come and dwell in us. We spend so much time saying God, won't you come? Won't you come? And he's up there going, won't you come? Won't you come? I just want you. Okay? I just want you to dwell in me so that I can dwell in you. So he literally just wants us to know his love because he wants his kingdom to be established. That's the big picture. The big picture is always the kingdom. It's always been the kingdom. But in order for that to happen, we have to know his love. Absolutely know his love. We have to. And this is this is something interesting. In 1 Corinthians 13, the first verse, it says, If I can speak in tongues of men and angels, but have not love, I am only a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. Okay, Paul says that. It says that because love makes things make sense. Love gives those things meaning. And right there, he even says that love has to be first, or all of this other stuff just holds no purpose. It holds no meaning. So love came first. Now we just have to know it and we have to receive it so that we can establish his kingdom, just like it says, so that we can go out and speak in tongues and prophesy and release release prophetic declarations all over the place and, and blow people up with who God is. We have to know his love first. That has to be first. And more than likely, it's the pastors and the teachers and the prophets that really love their kids, that really love the people that they are shepherd over, that are probably most widely known because they make sense. Because what they do has has a reason behind it, and it's love. And so if we go out and we feel ineffective in our gifting, maybe we need more love. Maybe we don't know God's love yet. Because that is the number one. That is the foundation of everything. And when we say, your kingdom come, your will be done. Okay, why does your will be done come after we say your kingdom come? Because if his kingdom is love, then we are saying, your love come, then your will be done. I want your love first so that I can do your will. That is what he wants. He doesn't want slaves and he doesn't want service. Servants, he wants people who know that he loves them. That's what he wants. And that's what brings the unity that we're looking for. That's what brings the bodies together. It's not a service that we can hold. It's not praise and worship. You know, I, lo- I love it when people say that worship is what's going to change the nation. Yeah, it is. But what worship stems from is love. And that's why it's going to change the nation. That's the relationship that God wants. He wants his people to be in relationship with one another and then in relationship with him. He wants one God and one body. And the key to that is his love. I was just saying to the kids last night, and Rachel pointed this out even, that in the psalm that David wrote where he says, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. I love that. Because what he's saying is if the Lord is my shepherd, then I don't need anything else nor do I want anything else. 
And we, we, sometimes we try to make other things our shepherd. And we try to make our pastors our shepherd. And we try to make our worship leader our, our shepherd. When really, God should be that shepherd. And if he is our shepherd, then we don't want anything else. And we don't need anything else. But then he goes on to say, Though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Why will he fear no evil? Because perfect love casts out all fear. And he had a revelation of that perfect love. And the valley of the shadow of death, I hate to say it, is life. The valley of the shadow of death is life. And so he's saying, while I'm living, I will fear no evil because I know that you love me, God. And God perfected that love inside of him through all the mistakes that he made, through all the stuff that he went through. God perfected that love inside of him so that he wouldn't fear. And this is something that Jake said too. He said, the opposite of love is not hate, it's fear. Because fear is what keeps us from doing what we're called to do. And it keeps us from being who we're called to be. Makes us not feel like sons and daughters. Makes us not feel like we have a father up in heaven who loves us. That's what it does. That's what fear does. And so he's like, allow my love to be perfected in you so that you will not be afraid anymore. Allow my love to be perfected in you so that I can show the world who I am. Come into my garden and eat my fruits. Partake of me. Partake of my character. Know really who I am so that you can give that out to other people, so you can give that out to the people who need it the most. And you know, you know, um, we say, we can go on and say that we believe that God loves us, but then when the time comes, we don't allow him to do it. When the time comes, whenever we make a mistake or uh, a little tiny sin or whatever, uh, we won't allow him to love us. And so, and some, sometimes, especially teenagers, get wrapped up in shame, and they won't allow God to love them, even though they've heard that message over and over and over. And they believe that Jesus died for them. But, you know, it's like there, there's got to be more. Like, I don't want to just continually teach teenagers that Jesus died for them. They need to know that, but the truth is, I bet you everybody knows that. And they know why he did it. They know that he he died for their sins. And, like, that's, like, that was the turning point, Right? That was when God established the new covenant. And they need to know what the new covenant is, but they also need to know that the very reason that they were created was so that God could lavish his love on them. Because that is the beginning. That is the start of everything. It really is. And so those two messages go hand in hand. There was a first Adam and there was a second Adam. And there was a reason there was a first Adam. The reason for the first Adam was so that God could love somebody. The reason for the second Adam was so that we would know that he loved us. They go, they go hand in hand. So seeing is not believing, okay? But believing is seeing. Believing that God loves us, believing that God loves me, is when I really see that happen. I want to pray for this, that that this, because I know this is, this is really what the Lord wants to do. And he's been trying to do it for a long time. And I... I know that the Lord's been speaking to me about it for a long time. I just never really, I don't know, I, I kind of believed it. I believe that God, the answer to everything is love. It's your love. It's knowing your love. But I almost didn't let it take effect. And when I don't let it take effect in me, then I can't really lavish that love on other people that he's given to me. So I just want to pray for that, especially for this service coming up, because I, I know that this is God. I really do. I know that in De- on December 3rd, 
I know that this is God, and I know that he wants all of the churches to come together. I know he wants all the pastors to understand that they're really, they really are all serving the same God, and they really are all loved by the same God, and they all have the same vision, which is the kingdom. So I want to pray for that service, but I, not only that, I just want to pray for the church. This is the key that opens the door. This is what it does. This is, this is how it starts happening. And we understand, really understand, that, that God really does love us, and that's why we were made. And that's the, that's the whole thing. Jake said this too. He said that the, the beauty of not being able to understand love, and, oh, and this is something else I was going to say, is that, <laughs> that, that just re- reminded me of something, that if we say that we know what love is, that's like saying we know who God is. And truth is, we will never understand God completely. If we say we understand what love is and we understand how love works, then that's saying we understand what what God is and who he is and how he works. And we can understand a little bit of him, but the angels up in heaven don't even understand everything because they're still going around singing because they don't they see a different part of him every day. And so it's we we can't say that we really understand love because we never will because that's who God is. And we can never really fully understand who he is. But that's the beautiful thing. And this is what Jake said. He said that because I will never understand who he is, I have all of my life to seek him out. And this is something else that he showed me. He said, and I put this on Facebook the other day. I said, if, I said I'm glad I'm not perfect. I'm glad I make mistakes. Because if I was perfect, then I wouldn't need God. And I enjoy needing him. I enjoy desiring him. I don't want to be perfect. I want to spend the rest of my life seeking him. So I don't want to fully understand him because I want to spend the rest of my life trying to understand him. And that doesn't mean that we will never receive his love because we're always going to receive his love. We can never understand how big it is and what it really means, but we sure can receive it. It can it, ex- it can exist in here and us not understand it. So I just want one or two or however many, just to pray that the Lord would really do this, that something would really start to happen.